Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett, and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. And Layman Tech Lounge, it is true. Ain't no one as dope as we. That's why our logos are so fresh and so clean. Clean. Today we're going to be responding to a video from Rhett and Link about why evangelicals who are white are absolutely horrible, the most reprehensible people on the planet, right? Don't do that. Okay. Don't I'm do teasing, that. I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. There's already someone claiming that we're going to straw man here. Okay, so the... But, but not really. But we're not the, really. The, the, the thumbnail is a bit clickbaitish, but we're going to get to that toward the end of this video, so you'll have to stay with us. But I will say that they do, they, they do make the point that when you believe that as a Christian you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit... That makes you think about yourself and others differently, and they connect it to a number of things, including wearing masks. Yes. So, um, mask. I have a mask here that um, has the One Life logo on it. You know why? Because I represent my church when I go out um, in Evansville, Indiana, wearing my mask. One Life. Yep. What's up, Brad? I hope you're watching this feed. So, um, let's, Probably not. Uh, he's a pastor. He's busy. So, so about a year ago, um, we did a video. I did a video on Rhett and Link's deconstruction, primarily Rhett's. And I went through some evidential things that he laid out. He laid out some things related to evolution and um, young earth and old earth creationism and um, the resurrection of Jesus and other things like that. And we went through that. And in fact, just about two months ago, if, if that, maybe it was a month ago, I, I did a response to their comments about how they celebrate Christmas now as um, a more secular uh, family or secular families, let Rhett and Link. And uh, but I didn't know they were going to do a, a video, a couple of videos on one year after their deconstruction, what has happened and how how have they changed and, and those sorts of things. Now, links, I do want to cover at some point because it's a it's it's very personal. This one's personal, too, but it's very personal in terms of what he's thinking, how he's motivated, what he's feeling. And those things are very interesting with Rhett. What we have uh, originally again, originally, he talked about the evidence and those sorts of things. And toward the beginning of this video in a clip, we're not going to play. He talks about how as a comedian or as a internet personality who does a lot of humor and things. He had grown a thick skin when it comes to people making fun of the way he looks or the way he sounds or the jokes that he makes. But when he put his mind out there, it, it kind of affected him with the responses that people gave. And so we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that. However, I can't help the fact that for the most part, what happens in this video is uh, I, you know, yeah, it's at least the, the, the main event of, of this video from Rhett is 
a discussion of why he's glad that the deconstruction happened about this time last year at the beginning of 2020, because this was a year when people who have online platforms needed to be able to say what they think about various social issues and worldview issues as it relates to what's going on in America and the racial stuff and the COVID and Trump and all of that. And so uh, so so it was a good time. And now he's going to come out and say some of those things clearly if they haven't already been said. So this isn't a political show. And while we touch on things like that occasionally, let me say this clearly for anyone to hear whatever you think about um, the, the racial stuff in America right now the COVID stuff, Trump, the election, Biden, all of that, whatever you think about any of that, we will make some comments, but the primary focus of this video is to defend Christianity, not white evangelical 21st century Christi uh, churches. Yeah, I Trinity Radio say. fans know I toss white evangelicals under the bus more often than they'd like, so... Yeah, know, so... <laughs> we're, not, we're not here waving banners for anyone except for Jesus. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. But there are some other things of theological and apologetic significance that we're going to discuss. But here's so, the thing. Here's the thing. I have a lot of friends who are white evangelicals. And so, you know, as much as sometimes I pick on them, when I see others pick on them, sometimes I want to push back a little bit on it and take up for it. Because, I mean, I know a lot of good people who are white evangelicals. You're yeah. one of them. You're a good person, Braxton. Thank you. Likewise. I mean, coming from me, that means almost nothing. But it's, it's still true. You're a good person. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into this because I've got substantial number of clips. And so let's go, Pritchett, let's go into the live stream room real quickly. It okay. seems that the sort of general evangelical conclusion about us is that we were never Christians, right? That's where the majority of evangelicals have, have landed. That's hmm. it's like, okay, this is how I interpret this. And this has been pretty fascinating for me personally because this is exactly what I would have said about us, you know, 15 years ago if I were to watch and hear the stories that we told, I would be like, well, I guess those guys were never Christians, or they are still and they will come back to a full faith and full relationship with Christ at some point in the future. And I was thinking about that uh, and thinking about the way that I used to think about things like this, and it was very much, um, it was a commitment to Christianity, it was a commitment to the Bible, but more so than anything, it was it was commitment to an ideology. It was commitment to a system of ideas that, yes, have their roots in the Bible. But me and you both came from a reform background. You like you came from like a specific like your church was specifically like, hey, we are reformed. And my church was like, we're not a reformed denomination, but this particular expression of this non-denominational denomination is reformed, right? Yeah, Post college. Newlywed, the churches we were involved in, yes, right. So we, so we basically, even though I was uncomfortable with it, I kind of subscribed to sort of Calvinism light, you know, like what John Calvin taught. So you've got uh, the P in tulip, which is per perseverance of the saints. This is deep cut for those of you who don't have any experience with well, this. At least you skip to the P, <laughs> you know. You, but you left the tulip on the table. That's good. Essentially, it's this once saved, always saved thing that, again, there's biblical support for it. There's also some biblical, there's some stuff that might bring it into question. But the general sort of consensus of the churches that we came from and the sort of the, the part of the evangelical church that we came from is that once saved, always saved. And so I just find it interesting that, you know, you hear a couple of guys 
who talk about their experience with Christianity, how they were all in for Jesus, they recognize that they were sinners in desperate need of the grace of God that comes only through accepting the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And we made a decision, in my case, multiple decisions just to make sure it take it had taken <laughs> to accept Christ. And you say, those guys were never Christians mm. because that is what you have to believe. Nope. <laughs> you don't have to believe that. The power of ideology. Um, but the, the thing that I really wanna get into is the timing of us telling the stories. So before you move on, so I mean, you're obviously asserting, and I will, I'll agree from my perspective too that I'm experienced that. <laughs> we are gonna talk in just a minute, just we're getting through this first point. Well, I wanna, I wanna say something about this real quick. Well, one well, of the things about deconstruction stories that I think he's responding to that I, I kind of resonate with is there is a large portion of evangelicalism here in America that that does affirm the once saved, always saved thing. I don't know about Calvin being uh, a light Calvinist. Um, of course, if David Allen's correct, uh, Calvin didn't affirm limited atonement. So that might be lighter than some Calvinists. But um, I, I leave open the possibility because I think that Christians can apostatize. I think that it's possible that he was a believer and he committed apostasy. It could be possible that he uh, was never a believer, and it could be possible that he comes back to the faith. I, those are all options for me. So one of the things that I want to caution evangelical, at least those in apologetics and theology, is the even if you have a diehard theological commitment to an idea that I probably disagree with and think is wrong, the first thing you don't do is tell them what they never believed. You didn't really, really believe this stuff. Uh, at least not, not to be saved. You never had the Holy Spirit. We don't, you don't know that. Um, you can believe that on theological grounds. Um, you're wrong. It's once saved, always saved is easy to, to, to refute, but it just seems to me that attacking somebody and saying you're mistaken about your previous Christian experience you never had that. I think that's right out of the gate. You're doing what what people do to Braxton Hunter. You're a liar. You're disingenuous. You're or what? Like last episode, we talked about the other person saying, uh, "You're telling your kids lies." Well, you're saying to them, "You're you're telling us lies about your previous experience, uh, or you're just deeply deceived about what those experiences were because whatever they were, they weren't genuinely Christian." And I don't think that that's the best way to approach people who like uh, Rhett, Link, uh, Matt Dillahunty even. Uh, and I appreciated that about Braxton, that you didn't try to call into question his prior. I just Christian don't see experience. the point yeah. of that. I mean, like, like, here's the thing. Wherever you stand on that doctrine, which I think it's interesting because if you'll listen to them, they may have come from legitimately like hardcore Calvinist churches, but they described it as Calvinist light. And I've, I think I've heard them mention Southern Baptist before, but what they said, what Rhett said was they hold on to the perseverance of the saints, but they, but he said, we leave the Thule on the table, right? That's just what most Southern Baptist churches have often thought right. is basically. And I do think there's a relevant distinction between perseverance of the saints and eternal security as Southern Baptists understand it. But the fact is they're basically just saying we were Southern Baptist. Yeah. But um but uh Well at least yeah. Rhett was Link seemed to say that his church was more so. Yeah. Hey Zach C, thank you for becoming a channel member. Really appreciate yeah. that. Awesome and welcome. And Jim Amberg says 
My William Paley came uh, page came. Thank you. It is now the second oldest thing in my house behind my HVAC system. <laughs> well, thank you for that super chat, that substantial super yeah, chat. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jim. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So um, th- there's a little bit more. Let me let me let it play out. Okay. Just, just yeah, I, I believe I was saved. I mean, period. I don't know what else. Now, this is a little bit interesting for those of you that watch the online atheist versus Christian dialogues because... Um, Link, I don't think is as much paying attention to that world. And so he's, he's like, yeah, I was saved. I mean, come on, I was saved without really thinking about the fact that, well, wait, if, if Christianity is false, no one's really saved, right? You, 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 what you call being saved is some feelings and emotions you have, and maybe a commitment to an ideology. Red catches that and picks up on it. And he says to say, I don't look back on that experience and, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very critical of of myself, but I don't, I just don't think that, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't look back at my former self that way. And you're, that's what you're saying too? You think you were as real as you you could be? I mean, did we miss something? What did I would not apply? What we, I would say to uh, committed evangelical Christians who are listening is the way that they feel about their relationship with God and the way that they experience their relationship with God. As I would say, as well as I can without being in your own, without being inside your body, I would say, I get it, I relate, I understand, I had the same experience. Um, and now I think very differently about that and we would have fundamental differences as to what we think was actually going on at that time. But I'm saying that I understand that if you subscribe to if you're still in and you subscribe to this particular ideology, you do not have a choice but to believe that we were never Christians or that we still are and we will return someday. But over the course of my- Okay, before we go on to this next thing, let me let, let me just say what I always say about this issue. There are arguments that go on in theologically interested Facebook groups all the time between Calvinists and Arminians and people that are not Calvinists but do affirm the P of Tulip and, and this whole thing about whether you can apostatize really or not, or what that is or what it means or what it looks like. Let me, let me tell you again, and especially if you're new to the show, how I look at this as a practical, evangelistically oriented person. Whatever your uh, perspective is on that secondary but important doctrinal issue, I want to say it's not important, but whatever your perspective on that is, how do we look at a person like Rhett? Well, the Calvinist looks at a person like Rhett and says, Seems like he never was saved to begin with, so let's go reach him with the gospel. The non-Calvinist says, uh, and particularly like someone who believes you can apostatize and walk away from the faith says, well, he was a Christian maybe, but he's not now, so let's go reach him with the gospel. In the end, what both sides of that coin, what both types of persons should say about Rhett McLaughlin is, let's go evangelize that person, or what can we do to see him come to Christ? That's the answer that both give. So while the secondary doctrinal issue is is interesting and important in terms of evangelism, what every Christian should be able to say is he needs Jesus. Let's take Jesus to him. Well, yeah, there are a few uh, in some stricter Wesleyan circles who understand the Hebrews author to say, to be giving a logical impossibility. It is impossible for them to, you know, yeah, he's done. A, he's a, over. He's a rhetorical impossibility you know uh which is how you and i understand that text whether you and we don't have the same view on this 
this theological issue, but I do want to say there are some people who say that it may be he's it's impossible for him. But to, you know what that do. person should do yeah. unless they're be, unless they are the most confident human being on planet Earth. They should evangelize. They should evangelize him anyway, in case they're wrong about the most difficult to understand verse in the entirety of scripture. (laughs) Okay. So, so, uh, just, just, uh, anyway, just throwing that out there. All right, let's go ahead now and let's see what else they say. Adult life. I came to think that, uh, Christians might actually have it backwards. I, when the secular scientists, historians, archeologists, et cetera, question the truth of something in the Bible, they, they most likely were right, right? That was the process, was it was a, was a slow and steady shift. And then coming to that conclusion, which I finally got all the way on the other side of that, uh, coming to that conclusion gave me permission to question what I kind of call the underlying cosmic principles of evangelical Christianity. Namely, people are born into a broken relationship with God and if they don't reconcile that relationship through Jesus, they will spend eternity an unthinkable torment in hell. And when I started thinking like, that's not even something that I want to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I had given myself the permission to not have to believe it because I didn't. I no longer believe the underlying sort of ideas that led to that, right? And at that point is when I was like, okay, no longer consider myself a Christian. And that happened, I can't remember what year I said that was when I went back to my story, but you know, at least several years ago. Now, a lot of people pointed out that it seemed like the two of us were not rejecting Christianity per se, but we were rejecting evangelical Christianity. Okay. Right? Uh, And maybe more specifically, Southern evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll say I somewhat agree with that (laughs) Um, because that is what we had and that is what we experienced and that was our story uh, and that is what we rejected. But I will also say uh, that, you know, I don't think that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't think that God's ultimate true manifestation is in the person of Jesus. Um, and so I would say that that puts me safely outside of the Christian camp. I will say. Okay, now the, the thing I want to say about this is notice we take all of the Bible seriously, we love all of the Bible, it's our authority. However, I want you to notice what happened here. He came to believe that certain interpretation, this is the only way to understand what he just said, that certain interpretations of Genesis that he thinks rub against modern science. And so he decided that the modern science people were right instead of his interpretation of the Bible or the interpretation he'd been led uh, raised with. And so because of that and historical stuff, which I'm not sure what he's talking about, and archaeological stuff, I'm not sure what he's talking about. Uh, but because he thinks they're right on those things, which are not, the Bible is not a 21st century science textbook or a 21st century history textbook. For those of you who are who uh, listen to either Lydia McGrew or Mike Lycona, it's not a 21st century history textbook. If you treat it as though it's what it doesn't claim ever to be, and you decide that it doesn't live up to the thing that you decided it should be that it never claims to be. It's like that Tim Barnett tweet one time where he where he talked about an argument that some atheist gave. He's like, atheist knocks down argument he just made up. It's like it never claimed to be what you found it to be lacking in being. So then he goes over here to the thing that it does claim to be, which is theological revelation from God with history in it, but history written by people who write history in the context they write it in. 
and decides those claims are false because the thing that it never claimed to be, uh, it wasn't that. So this is a lead. And I think this happens a lot. I think it's why there are so many YouTube atheist channels that are focused on almost nothing but young earth creationism. Now, if you're a young earth creationist out there, listen, you're my brother. You're my sister. In fact, I don't even have an axe to grind about that. I really don't. And I recognize that some of you uh, want me to uh, study that further and and come back to young earth creationism. And I I appreciate your um, interest in that and your your diligence in that. But the fact is, the fact is, so many of them found that a particular interpretation of Genesis, they found, they didn't, they disagreed with it. So it's a quick run through the rest of the Bible. Now, in the original video that Rhett did, he lays out how he went to be in an old earth for a while, and maybe I can square evolution with the Bible, and, but then he ultimately let it all break down. But what he just gave us here was uh, science didn't match the Bible, history didn't match the Bible, so I don't think Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't know what he's talking about there because, yes, it may not be. I don't know what the percentages are on how many historians believe Jesus rose from the dead. But do they believe that he thought of himself as God's special agent to bring about the kingdom? Yes. Do they believe that he died by Roman crucifixion under Pontius Pilate? Yes. Do they believe that people were willing to die for the, for the faith? Yes. Uh, you know, the, the case, the pieces of the case are there. And so far as I know, Rhett still affirms a supernatural uh, uh, understanding of the nature of reality. Like he did, he's not a naturalist. Um, he's not, I think he's not sure where he stands on that. So, you know, the point is if, if you reject the Bible for the wrong reasons, and then the actual claims of the Bible go along with that, that's not a good way to go about it. Pritchett, what were you going to say? No, I was going to make those same very points, but you made up. So okay. uh, it, it's, it's interesting though, that it's always this pattern that I don't think for, and, and not all atheists deny this. Some do. But it, it uh, this kind of apostatizing or, or whatever you want, walking away from the faith, whatever, it never starts with the arguments for and against, whether it's science, the historicity of the resurrection or whatever. It always starts with something else that makes, whether it's uh, an internal critique with a doctrine like the doctrine of hell for some people um, seems to be uh, pose a problem. Maybe we've talked about this before. It's the biblical sexual ethics that that trip people up in contemporary times for others it's uh, sinful actions that they 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 don't want to accept the biblical uh instruction on how to behave in certain ways it it always starts with something other than well i've heard so many scientific arguments i've heard so many critiques of the resurrection case or whatever um it's it always seems that they find those later after they found reasons to want to leave. Does that make sense? Well, it, it is telling that here he does say, I didn't want to believe those things anyway. And so this kind of gave me permission. Right. And in the original video, even though he's clear that it's all about evidence and all about the, the facts, man. Yeah. I'm just saying the, it doesn't the, start the, there. I know, but the truth is For even, most of them. even in that original video, he goes through a list of things and I can't remember exactly how he worded it now, but he goes through a list and it was basically, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think. And on the hell issue, there was something like, I don't, I don't want that to be true. And if I don't want that to be true, and I don't think that meant, maybe that was a, what do you call that? Um, a Freudian slip or something. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I, but here's what I always say about this. People make decisions, big decisions like changing worldviews for a number of reasons. It's never just facts and logic and evidence. Right. Sorry, you're not Spock, and Spock wasn't even Spock. 
Right. The, the truth is it's a, it's a conglomeration of different things of motivations. Some of those are facts and evidence, perhaps, maybe not. Yeah. Some of it is, uh, could be sin, could be a desire to sin, maybe not. Or some just, of it could be a person. Yeah. Some of it could be a career. Some of it could be, I don't. So like when he says, people think we just did this because we wanted to fit in in Hollywood with a career, you know, with our, no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I don't think I don't. Yeah. However, I don't think there's ever just one thing. And that could be a small part of it for all I know. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, not all atheists will deny that. Some of them say it's just I'm not a Christian based on the facts and evidence. But but for all the for all the apostates out there, I it's it never starts, uh, or or it almost never. I don't, I don't want to say too. But in my experience, talk hearing these stories, it almost never starts with evidence and facts. It always starts with something else, whether it's doctrines they don't like or whatever. Like I just said, so uh, that doesn't mean that that they're wrong about the facts and evidence. So that's not my argument for all you atheists. Listen, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is this process of walking away from the faith rarely ever starts with, um, well, I considered all the evidence and found the evidence for Christianity wanting based on history or science. Cause I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, on our side have examined that same data and found the evidence overwhelming for, you know, the historicity and the scientific evidence that, that seemed to point to, God and Christianity being the ex best explanation for well, everything. Well, and, so. and I'm going to be as, first of all, for those of you that came because of the mask thing, we are going to get back to um, to to the mask thing. Oh, hold on a second. Kevin, come on now, man. He says, you're getting very close to you just want to sin. Did, did Actually, I said... That's in, a possible, that's one of several possible things that I, I listed. I said that could be or, or not. Yeah, I didn't get close to it. We listed that as one of several, so... I, I, in fact, but in we the, didn't say anything specific about these two, but it could be for all I know. I don't know. In the video I made in, in my 10 question series responding to people, I had asked a question like, I believe you that when you say you didn't become an atheist just because of sin, but do you at least understand how your Christian family and friends who have that view, when they see that once you become an atheist, you change uh, political perspectives on various things that they can that they consider sinful. I know you don't consider them sinful, and that perhaps certain uh, certain activities that you thought were sinful before now you're engaging in. Do you at least see how they come to that conclusion? This was an attempt to get people to have common ground of understanding. Of course, everyone heard, "Oh, you're just saying that they just want to sin." No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I'm saying it could be wanna, one of. The and if that's things. what you want to hear, I can't. I can't convince you otherwise. But all I'm telling you is that is not what I'm yeah. saying. Now, with you, Pritchett, I'm saying that that is a possible motivator. There have been atheists who've been open about that. Yeah, John Loftus. He said, yeah, I wanted to go to strip clubs and stuff and, and have affairs on his wife. John Loftus said that in some video 20 years ago or whatever. I mean, some people do that. I'm saying it could be that. That's why I listed it as one. Doctrinal reasons that they don't like. All kinds of reasons. So, no, we didn't come close to saying that. We said that, but we put, but we, but how we said it as one of several reasons. So you know, follow along, Kevin. I don't. I, it'd be nice to Kevin. He he, he come around. Um, Whatever he started in before the show started. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> be nice. I don't remember the point I was making originally, but uh, let's just keep trucking with it. Well, what was he talking about? What are we responding to? I don't know. Let's keep going. That most of what I'm going to say today is intended for the evangelical church, and more specifically, the white evangelical church in America. Because again, that's the world I come from. That's the world I know. 
that's the world I left. Oh, I, I know what I was going to say. I know what I was going to say. This I've, I've been taking in a little bit of Josh Rasmussen lately. Love Josh Rasmussen, one of the most charitable human beings I've ever met. And one thing that he says that is charitable, and, and I like this, and I think he says it in his discussion with Alex Malpass, is there are some people who, um, on a particular thing, they're only aware of so much evidence or so many facts about a particular position. And as a result, they reject it. Um, and they're not irrational to do so. But then after they learn more and they get more facts, they accept, they might accept it again. The thing that they thought was on bad reasons. Now they see more reason for it and now they accept it. And so the idea is you could have people in two different places who are just in different spots in their journey of understanding the evidence. And so it could be that Rhett right now, he got into some, some stuff. He read some Bart Ehrman and he read some, what do you say? Jeffrey Coyne and, and stuff. And then, and, and so at the, he's at a certain spot right now. Maybe he studies a little more and he, and he gets to another place and he sees that Christianity is the best explanation of the nature of reality again. But of course, none of that detracts from the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. All right. Okay. Uh, let's, let's keep trucking. And I am going to say some things that are difficult to hear if you are in the white evangelical church. The church demonstrated that it has a spurious relationship with justice as well. So on the issue of, of racial injustice, and I'm gonna pull some data from the Public Religion Research Institute. Um, this is all- Shout out. This is all straight from there. Uh, white Christians are nearly twice as likely as religiously unaffiliated whites to say the killings of black men by police are isolated incidents rather than part of a pattern of how police treat African-Americans. White Christians are about 30 percentage points more likely to say monuments to Confederate soldiers are symbols of Southern pride rather than symbols of racism. White Christians are also about 20 percentage points more likely to disagree with the following statement. Generations of slavery and discrimination have created conditions that makes it difficult for blacks to work their way out of the lower class. Author Robert P. Jones, uh, who's also associated with the uh, PRRI, uh, created a racism index that was generated using 15 questions designed to get beyond personal biases and include perceptions of structural injustice. So basically this is a racism test. <laughs> uh, white evangelical Protestants had the highest median score on the racism index. As Jones summarized, while most white Christians think of themselves as people who, warm, who have warm feelings toward African-Americans, holding racist views is nonetheless positively and independently associated with white Christian identity. I don't, having spent most of my life in the white evangelical church, I don't need these stats, but you might need them in order to understand that racism has a very comfortable home in the white evangelical church today. And also newsflash and people who know their history um, <laughs> know that this is, uh, this is uh, this is not new, right? It isn't like 2020 made the church racist. The church has been, the white church has been, has held up racist ideas and defended racist ideas and perpetuated racist ideas for hundreds of years. The church, contrary, now what we were told, what we grew up thinking is that, you know, the only reason that slavery ended was because of the Christian abolitionists. 
But what that fails to account for is the only reason that slavery continued for so long was the white Protestants who were justifying it and doing it, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Okay, th this is a long clip. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm putting gonna, when yeah. I'm putting clips together, I have them on double speed, and so I'm like, oh, that's an appropriate amount of time to spend on that. Yeah. Uh, well, we need to first address the kind of thing that he's citing. X amount of points more likely. Right. So it's not like these things are exclusive to white evangelicals. It's just uh, you may find a white evangelical who may buy into those kinds of ideas. Um, they may not. It's just an idea that more likely than someone you may, you're going to end up finding people who have nothing to do with Christianity who um, affirm those ideas just as likely. So just saying you're more likely uh, that doesn't that, that doesn't speak to any particular individual inside or outside of uh, evangelical. You, you can't just assume that if you meet a white evangelical, therefore, because it's more likely they hold these views, that the one you met holds any of those views, right? So you got to be careful when, when throwing around stats like this. Uh, interesting about the um, the the disproportionate uh, number of uh, African-Americans that are attacked by police or killed by police or whatever stat he brought up, uh, one thing that I thought was interesting about some white evangelicals is a lot of their information to push back on that they got from an atheist by the name of Sam Harris, who went through all of the statistics on that data, right? So after Sam Harris released his podcast on this and, and got both yays and boos from all kinds of people just for giving data, um, you know, it, it's interesting how white evangelicals who normally don't care for Sam Harris decided to run with his research and say, yeah, uh, but the statistics and facts on the ground say that this is not as, you know, disproportionate. And in fact, it's, you know, statistically not very prominent at all in the U S. So they got that from atheists or an atheist. But right. So there's a lot of things here that's being assumed about all white evangelicals that if you meet anyone in the white evangelical church, you're most likely meeting a racist because it's more at home there than, than everything else. Uh, both things can be true that Christians ended slavery and Christians continue to uh, perpetuate slavery. Th those are both true, right? Uh, so it's not like I agree with him that you don't need to tell the half truth because there's plenty of us who run around and, you know, uh, remind our own fellow brothers and sisters in Christ of all the horrible things that, and we talked about this on, on our show. If we want atheists to own uh, the atrocities done in the name of atheism, Christians, you got to own that Christians have done bad things. Right. Uh, so uh, I agree, but the fact that there were Christians who perpetuated slavery doesn't mean that there weren't also Christians who worked to abolish slavery. You know, you can think within one generation, Jonathan Edwards was a slave owner and wrote disparaging things about Native Americans. And his son, Jonathan Edwards Jr., who is not as prominent as his father, was an abolitionist and was kind and, and repudiated everything his father had and acted in a different manner towards Native Americans. So it's, it's complicated. And we shouldn't tell the simple stories, right? And I think that that's where he probably got a little bit burned by that, uh, by not hearing all of that. That's why... You know, as educators, people like Braxton Hunter and I, we want to tell the whole story. Well, here's here's the thing. Have I known 
listen, I've grown up in the white evangelical church, although the church that I've gone to for 10 years, now I go to a different church. The church I was going to for 10 years is a very healthy mix of various, uh, various people groups. But I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of racist jokes. I've heard a lot of racist jokes. I've heard a lot in, and, and that could just, that could be as much because it was in the American South yeah. uh, than, than is anything else. But here's the th- point that I want to make. Yeah. Whatever your opinions are uh, about this stuff, we should stand up and preach to the church a message against racism. Yes. Um, but but we're talking about the white evangelical church in 21st century America. Right. The point I'm interested in is, okay, you walked away from the church and now you're speaking to a 21st century white evangelical churches. Fine. But... I'm interested in Christ, whether Christianity is true. And yeah. we're going to actually see that. He, 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 he shows, Rhett shows to his credit that this is not the gospel. This is not how Jesus speaks. Yeah, see, what I'm interested in is, is when I'm, you know, I, I would safely say One Life is a predominantly, not exclusively, but a predominantly white evangelical church, right? Yeah. The church we former go goat, to. Former goat has it right. Rhett is yeah. confusing the visible church with the invisible church. And there could be legitimate Christians who act in racist ways. Yeah. No, I'm from Arkansas, Southern Baptist, uh, predominantly white church uh, in Arkansas for Southern Baptist churches. These people exist. I'm that's there's no question about that. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm as no question about that. But what I'm interested in is is, uh, you know, insofar as I'm associated with evangelical churches that are predominantly white is to have conversations and speak to these issues and rebuke the evil uh, racist behaviors where you find them and you can find them. I don't, I don't think you can just say white evangelicals are racist and I, I, and he's not claiming that. Right. Um, And you can't just say none of them are, Uh, but what you can do is you can have conversations that, that, Introduce well, people to ideas outside of their comfort zone and say, this is how these ideas are impacting. But the people. point is, he's saying he's glad yeah. he left the white evangelical church when he did, because he because now he can see it for what it is. And he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. Hey, hmm. when you were a part of it, if you recognize this, you could speak out against it then. Yeah, Th- there are people in you could start your own church. You could join another church. I have no problem believing that there's racism in white evangelical churches. Not I've what? seen it. Yeah. But I can tell you this much. You should call it out when you see it and not just walk away. Right. I mean, that's the more courageous thing to do. Yes. Um, now, in his case, I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt because I think what he's saying is he, he, he stopped believing, left the church, then saw it for what it was. Right. Um, still, you, you, can, you can confront this um, rather than walking away. Yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's, keep, let's keep going with this. Um, and, and not only that, not only were they instrumental in the justification of slavery, the church was instrumental in the justification of segregation that followed slavery. And Sunday morning remains the most segregated time of the entire week in America. 2020 just pulled the curtain back. 2020 just pulled the curtain back on something that lots of people have known for a long time. As a, as a white Christian, I didn't, I didn't think that I had racist ideas. In fact, I felt I, I, I had been. Okay, listen to this. Because I think what you're going to see is he might be right, but he's showing that the things that he thinks are wrong with white evangelicals in the 21st century isn't isn't gospel. So what's really being criticized here? And perhaps he would say it. 
the white evangelical church, not Christianity itself. Inoculated to racist ideas because I believed in a gospel that was for everyone. There was no slave, there was no free person, there was no man, no woman, there was no race. The Keep gospel, brother. it doesn't exactly discriminate. Right. Amen. And I thought that because that was true, therefore racism can't really exist, but what I failed to see until I left was that so many racist, racist ideas were not being challenged and actually were being perpetuated within our church in ways that we were blind COVID. to. Well, I'd really like to know what he's talking about specifically yeah. within his church. What, you know, I mean, I've been in a lot of churches and I can tell you this much, the, okay, let me, let me just go ahead and share this. Okay, I'm gonna clear off a spot and preach here for a second. Sorry, Pritchett. But here's the thing. The first church that I pastored in Jacksonville, Florida, I was 20 years old. Didn't know what I was doing and that can cause a lot of problems, but here it caused a wonderful outcome. Because what happened was there were people in that church who were racist, who had told me and told my wife that when black folks had come to the church, they had told them, we're glad you want to worship God, but there's a nice black church down the road for you, had actually told them that and made them leave. This was a church that had that side of town had at one time been like the wealthy white area of town and things had changed, but the church hadn't changed. And so there's 15 old people sitting in a, uh, an uh, auditorium that seats 1100 and they're all white and they're all over 65. And, and I won't say they're all racist cause they weren't all racist, but some of them were. And, uh, so what did I do? Well, there was a pastor in town, a black pastor and, and his family and a few people that had been a part of his congregation and his church died. Um, and so he, they had been visiting our church. And so we said, Hey, uh, since you pastored a church and these people were, would you like to have a Sunday school class? That's your Sunday school class. And, and it wasn't like just to partition them off. A lot of our members went there too. You know, those, we only had like two Sunday school classes. And so, so that's how it was. Yeah. You take the help. You right. You take whatever you get. Church, yeah. I saw that there were people still upset about this. So what I did was I made, his name was Henry Hart. I made Henry Hart, the associate pastor of the church. And we were, a. a old school Southern Baptist church. So you sit up in chairs up on the you know stage during the service while the music's going on. And I put Henry Hart up there and on that stage sitting in a chair because I wanted Henry Hart sitting high above these old racist white folks. <laughs> and, and we let him preach occasionally. And then we had African-American day and we got one of the, one of the big African-American singers that was really popular and a past. Oh no, I preached. We had an, we had another guy come and give testimony and I preached and man, we just about packed that 1100 seat auditorium. That's not true. We packed about half of it out. Uh, but, um, Baptist preacher I was numbers. getting a little bit into the, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, and they did a thing about it on the news. I mean, it, it was a whole thing. Now that's not me virtue signaling. I can't say maybe there was a little bit of virtue signaling there. Yeah. I need to check myself. But the reality is that really annoys me. But the thing you can do there is confront, confront it in the church. Yes. And, and here's the other side of that. What is he talking about? Because I think I've seen as much as a lot of people have seen as a, as a white evangelical seen race, that kind of racism. But for the vast majority of the churches I've been to, the racism I saw, which is not, it's not as though this is okay. This is horrible, but quietly spoken racist jokes when nobody else is around. And, and I do feel bad that I, I didn't call those things out when I should have, but I want to know what things specifically he's talking yeah. about. The, the, the thing is though, is change is slow and hard and doing things like what you're talking about, uh, 
addressing this, confronting it is, I mean, for some people it ends uh, really bad. You know, for others, they make the wrong decisions. I remember right before I came to Trinity, there was a church in, in uh, Crystal something, uh, Mississippi, where they refused to marry a black couple in the church where the man was the custodian of the church and they refused to have the wedding because of a, a small group of people. And, but I also remember the outcry from a lot of Southern Baptists when that made the news and some of us were so, and a lot of people defended the church and a lot of people were uh, dumping on the church. And of course the people who were dumping on that church were right, but it was unbelievable to me that number one, that actually happened uh, in like, Back then it was like, what, 2013 or something, that that still happened and that there were people still defending it because people were calling for them to be thrown out of their association or out of the Southern Baptist Convention. And then there were Christians who were saying church, local church autonomy, and you got to leave them alone. They can make whatever decisions they want. You shouldn't be able to have the SBC be able to say blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what are you kidding me? You need to get rid of that church if they don't repent. So this stuff, this stuff, you've got to take it head on. And I, I don't, <clears throat> when people say the white evangelical church is, is all corrupt, it's totally worthless, time to throw it away and leave it. I'm like, yeah, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are a part of that. There's some who need to repent. There's others who, who need to be able to speak out more. But all of them are people for whom Jesus died. So even though I like to pick on the white evangelical church, and I can relate to a lot of what he's saying, I don't want to disparage them because I know that God loves them. At least according to my theology, God loves them. And I want to see the redemption of the white evangelical church from, from some of uh, the, the things that are But that's the thing. That, yeah. That's the thing. There are now no church is perfect, to be sure, in any area. Well, but there are churches now. There are, there are a lot of congregations now where all the things that Brett's decrying, for the most part, don't exist. Yeah. So I don't... I, Anyway, let's see. That's what they say. White evangelicalism is very large. It's very diverse. Um, And just to say white evangelicalism, and then you got to make the distinction between the way political commentators say if you're loosely associated with some Southern Baptist church somewhere that you show up twice a year for Christmas and Easter, you get counted as a white evangelical versus the people like Leighton Flowers, for example, who's a white evangelical. Th- those two types of people have nothing in common, but they get called white evangelicals. So you got to be okay. careful with how broad you paint that brush. All right, let's keep trucking. Despite clear evidence showing that mask wearing helps slow the spread of COVID, white evangelicals are the group least likely to wear a mask in public. Least likely. If you who throw a dart at a demographic in America, who's least likely to wear a mask? White evangelicals get that award. Although the COVID mortality numbers are within the range predicted by scientists at the start of the pandemic, and hospitals have been, as predicted, overwhelmed in many parts of the country, white evangelicals are the most likely demographic to deny the seriousness of the pandemic. White evangelicals are also much more likely than the average American to question the efficacy of vaccination in general, and more likely to believe false information about the COVID vaccine. All this is added up to being one of the key reasons that America has has such has had such a tough time with COVID. In short, white evangelicals have been on the wrong side of the fight against COVID. I don't want to get into too many more details. I'm not trying to give you evidence and argue if you don't believe 
if you don't believe that COVID's a, a real deal and you don't believe in masks or whatever, I'm just saying that this is what uh, this is what is born out in America. So in summary, uh, white evangelicals largely, not all, again, not all, but largely, and more than anyone else, uh, represent an intersection of science denialism and racist ideas that have made them an impediment in the fight against both COVID and racial injustice. And instead of worrying about the poor and the black and the brown, who are more likely to suffer from both the pandemic and racial injustice. White evangelicals have been preoccupied with their own personal freedoms, spending more time and energy talking about their own persecution rather than those actually being persecuted. Sorry. I, I I don't I'm not exactly sure why I get emotional about it, but I think it's because I was such a part of it for so long. Yeah. But okay, the reason I played that clip is because I could number one, I want to comment on it. Secondly, I can imagine people who are being critical of our video right now uh, criticizing me if I left it out because it is so powerful. It is powerful. Um. It's powerful because there is something true in what he said. There's something good in what he's saying. Clearly, we see a heart for people suffering because of COVID, particularly minorities that are suffering because of COVID. Yeah, they've been and, disproportionately affected by it. Right, and that's a that's true. Now, again, that white that's that many most even maybe I don't know white evangelicals or let's say white evangelicals at a larger percentage point than other groups yeah. are, are against mask wearing means Christianity is false. No, it means you should confront them about this and they're being confronted about this. And there are Christians confronting them about this. Yeah. Uh, this conversation, it, by the way, hold on Pritchett, by the way, I just want you all to know if you would like to get a mask, uh, to protect yourself from uh, COVID, so you are not one of those white or black or Asian evangelical or whatever. Uh, we have it for you. Here is a mask from Trinity Radio store on Teespring. Also, if you'll scroll down below this video right now, you will actually see this mask listed first, I think. And it says, smile, there's evidence for Christianity. Just wanted to let you know about that. So what Braxton's saying, like Coca-Cola, to all you white evangelicals, be less white and buy a mask. Is that what you're saying? No, but... <laughs> I'm just kidding. But if that motivates you to buy the mask. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, this mask thing. Now, I actually know my Facebook feed is... Somebody said that he doesn't think these statistics are right. Look, my Facebook feed is filled with people who are tired of wearing masks. Tired of wearing masks. But every time I leave the house to go buy groceries... Every time I leave the house to go anywhere to do anything, anytime I leave the house to come to this building where I know other white events, all I see is people wearing masks. Yeah, wear a now, mask. Now, don't be stupid. No, wear but I mean, there are state mandates that have been lifted or whatever. I don't live in those states. We still all record. So I don't know who all these people are who aren't wearing masks. 
I do know a lot of people who don't like wearing masks, but I've never seen. Do you know anyone who likes wearing a mask? Mm. I don't like wearing. I don't. I think I don't think Rhett and Link like wearing masks. Well, I there. You know, I mean, I, as I've said on my Facebook page, when you're driving, you know, when you want to get out of the house and you're driving to to go to other places in Indiana. Uh, during the pandemic just to go somewhere and you're out in rural Indiana and you stop at a gas station. There are benefits to wearing a mask in rural Indiana gas station bathrooms. There are benefits to wearing masks in certain places uh, like Walmart. I mean, look, they were a good idea before COVID-19. Okay. (laughs) But, but set that aside. No, I, I don't know a lot of people who do like to wear masks, but but I don't think you can confuse people who are complaining about masks with people who are intentionally going out and refusing to wear masks. I'm, I know that those people exist. I've never seen them, but I'm, I'm sure they're out there. But I do see a lot of people complaining about masks, but I don't know, at least from all the states that I've you know, been to here recently, uh, traveling to and from Arkansas a couple times and, and whatever else, that I've, I've never seen people walking around not wearing masks unless they're outside and they're not around anybody, right? But indoors, anywhere, yeah, they're they're all. Thank you, masks. MJ Jackson, he yeah. for that contribution. It means so much. It was good to see you yesterday on mm. on on a Skype or whatever. Christians confronting fundamentalists. Cough, cough. I mean, evangelicals about this. Like, I don't even know what an evangelical is anymore, MJ. I mean, evangelical is everything from what Rob Bell was before. Tell Prime Love to smile him. more. Put on the pressure cam. Okay. Okay, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask him to do that again. All right, let's keep trucking here. Well, there you go. You wanted I give the people what But the want. bottom line is, confront the church about it. If the church is wrong, the church is wrong. It does nothing to the message yeah. of the gospel. I, I, Not that they're claiming it does. I'm just saying, the ten, here's the thing. When you make a video like this, the tenor of the video, I mean, they're saying the right thing insofar as they're saying, here's what we think is problematic about white evangelical churches in the 21st century America. And I'm glad I got out because I don't want to be a part of that. And, 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 and then they show that the gospel actually doesn't teach that. The go- gospel teaches the opposite of that. That's great. But, but the theme of the video seems to be, we left Christianity. How do we feel a year later? Glad we're not part of all that stuff. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. The single issue that best captures white evangelicals' dubious relationship with truth and justice is their overwhelming allegiance to Donald Trump. Do I wanna talk about Donald Trump? No, I do not. I'm so glad that I do not have to see him in the news cycle. You probably don't wanna talk about him either, but we can't talk about 2020. We can't talk about white evangelicals. We can't talk about the last four years without talking about Donald Trump. By far, the most reliably supportive group for Donald Trump Donald Trump holding steadily at around eight out of 10. Everyone uh, sub to MJ Jackson and New Testament theologist. Yeah. Eight out of 10. That's a lot. You tell me there's an eight out of 10 chance it's going to rain today. I'm like, I'm bringing my umbrella. Eight out of 10 of white evangelicals supported Donald Trump. Both times around 2016 and 2020. And I can think of few people, not just presidents, but just few people in general who are less Christ-like than Donald Trump. I mean, I okay, right? It's not, a, I'm not this isn't, I'm not being far-fetched. Yet he, no. he has enjoyed more evangelical support 
than even George W. Bush, who was actually an evangelical, <laughs> right? And let me just say, again, I, I, I hesitated putting this in there, but listen, I'm no longer a part of the church, but things could have fallen different, a little bit different, and I could, I could, I could still be in the church, right? If if the multi-world th- theory of the parallel universe is true, there's there's billions of rets that are still in the church. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Let me tell you what those billions of rets are saying right now. Well, you're annoying them, that's for sure. Well, no. The ret that is out there in a parallel universe who is still in the evangelical church would not have gone along with this Donald Trump book. I can tell you that right now. And I lost so much respect for so many people who did. Now, for me, the most personally disturbing thing is the way that Christian, talked about this before, Christian nationalism and and Trumpism have kind of combined to create something that carries the name of Jesus. Literally, if you look at the Capitol protest, you see there's Trump 2020 flags and literally Jesus 2020 flags. I don't think he was running for president, but there's a flag that says Jesus 2020 right next to a Trump 2020 flag. Not uncommon at all to see that but they've combined to create something that carries that name of Jesus, but looks nothing like the Jesus that I have seen in the Bible. Um, journal- exactly right, exactly right. If that's what you think, then I'm glad that you're speaking this message. The problem is, uh, I mean, look, not this is, I'm not gonna get political here, but the point is, if you think that Jesus is not being represented, Thank you for pointing out that the most important thing for Christians is to focus on who Jesus is. Right. And, and you know, that, so just reminding you again that none of this reflect that what this reflects on is white evangelicals in the 21st century. Take it or leave it, agree or disagree, like it or not, has nothing to do with whether Christianity is true. Right. And, but he is speaking to the white evangelical church here. Yeah. Um, surely he understands that everything that he's saying has no purchase anywhere outside of the United States, because I'm, I'm sorry, this, uh, what your biggest problems with one segment of the Christian church in America, which is the white evangelical church, whether it's largely many, most, some, I, I don't even care at this point, you know, that is not global Christendom. And still, like you said, has no thing going all the way back to the truth of Christianity at all. So if, if why are you glad you got out of it is what I want to say. Like, let's grant everything he's saying. He's like, I'm glad I got out of it so I can feel free to say this or whatever. Right. Well, why are you glad you got out of it? If you were still in it, you could, you, you should speak against it. Yeah. If you were the, the red in the other universe, would he have said anything or not? Because you should have, if he, you should, he should if say, you say he's not going to go along with all this business. Is he speaking out or not? Now, I want to say this. I have people, friends who voted for Trump. I have friends who voted for Biden. I have friends who voted for the Libertarian, Joe, whatever her name was. I can't even remember her name, right? If I lose respect for anyone because of who they vote for, it's going to be everybody for not writing in Adam Coleman's name or uh, Chris Featherstone in my name because we we ran for president, according to Chris Featherstone anyway. Um but the idea of losing respect because you voted for somebody, that seems so silly because of all the evangelicals I know that voted for Trump, and he's right, the the reasons that they gave 
go anywhere from Trump loves America and I love Trump and Trump Trump's next to Jesus is Trump is awesome. Hey, Bridget. Then, then Let- there's other people who said. I really can't stand Donald Trump, but I just can't vote for a pro-choice Pritchett, candidate. I just want yeah. you to know, you don't have to fake a Southern accent. You've already got a Southern yeah, accent. Yeah, but I like to exaggerate it. It's it's When a, someone like me talks with the even more Southern accent, it's a lot of fun. And don't give me this, because we we, he, he was doing this exaggerating count thing the other day where he was really bringing out his Southern voice. And when he gets to preaching, if you haven't had Braxton Hunter preach, like when he's really preaching in the pulpit, he doesn't sound anything like what he sounds like talking on Trinity Radio. He gets that draw going. It sounds just like his dad. It's it's pretty cool actually. But yeah, quit quit worrying quit quit Carol, judging uh, people and making assumptions Kuruvia because of who they vote for. Did a good job of so contrasting the words of Jesus with those of Donald Trump. So I'm gonna do that just quickly. Just take this. Okay, in. since we're since this is running long, I'm gonna skip this, but basically mm-hmm. he pairs statements from Donald Trump with statements from Jesus to show that Donald Trump is nothing like Jesus. Yeah, I don't know very many white evangelicals, even the Trump lovers. One of the least of these brothers like Jesus, and sisters so I don't... quote unquote flaws <laughs> and Donald Trump. But steal the okay. store up here. Orders. Okay. Here he's gonna confront what somebody in the chat just said a minute ago about uh well, maybe the reason is because even though we don't like Donald Trump in terms of his character, he stands for stuff that's more important than that. Right. Again, this is none of this is new. You've heard it from so many people. I would say, I'd be tempted to say, you know what? It's a little late for this, isn't it? And he stands against something that's worse than him, and therefore supporting him is justified, right? That's the position by by many people. One of the common responses um, to our story was a sense of like, oh, okay. Well, they didn't they didn't go into it much, but let let me tell you, if you're out there now, you you're you may not agree with this. You may think that this is not a good reason or excuse, but let me tell you why the most sensible evangelicals that did vote for Trump voted for Trump, whatever else you want to say, the most sensible, morally interested white evangelicals or perhaps evangelicals at all voted for Trump was because the most wicked thing that we put our seal of approval on as a society today is the slaughter of unborn children. And right or wrong, evangelicals thought, many of them, this guy is the best shot of these two, in both cases, to put an end to that, or to lessen that, or to help work against that. That was the thinking of a lot of people. So it's, you know... The, the problem I see, and I, I do hate this, is whoever the Republican candidate is, there are certain Christians who are going to put them up on a, you know, baptize them and make them holy and look <laughs> at them as though it's, and, and look, the, the reality they is are out there. the Republican Party isn't Christianity. And Jesus is not coming back with blonde hair and blue eyes wrapped up in an American flag with an um, with a automatic weapon on either arm, a Second Amendment man. That's, that's, that's not Christianity. The Republican Party is not Christianity. However, the slaughter of children in the womb is thought by many evangelicals, including myself, to be the most wicked thing that we put our seal of approval on as a society. And so there's a lot of people that voted for Trump because of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it's not, and you may think, well, that's still not a good, there's, there's other issues on the table and this and that. Okay. This is not a political show. We're not here to talk to you about that. What I am here to, and I was always say about abortion, abortion is not a political issue. It's a moral issue, but it's an issue that has been politicized. 
But the truth is, even if you disagree, there is some sense in that. And if you don't think that abortion is that, number one, you need to repent. And number two, if you don't think it is that, then at least you can understand that for people who do think it's that, this makes a little more sense than you thought it did. Yeah, I mean, to me, though, I just can't get past the I lost respect for thing. You, You don't lose respect for people because they disagree with you on political issues. I don't care. I mean... Donald Trump doesn't give me the heartburn that he gives other people. And there are probably reasons for that. I'm white, middle class, whatever. So somebody could come back and say, yeah, and the reason is because you're privileged or whatever. Fine. Uh, but he really didn't give either what, what, whatever the case is. I don't get heartburn about Donald Trump. I don't like Donald Trump. I've never liked Donald Trump. Um, but he doesn't give me the heartburn he gives other people. But if he's someone who gives you heartburn... And you meet if you're a, I'm talking to, to white evangelicals too, if you're or or black evangelicals or Christians in general. If you're because there's a lot of arguing on politics among Christians in general. If you can't have a conversation with the the guy who thinks Trump is Jesus part two, right? That's the guy you want to change. But if you just cannot sit down at the table with him then you're having the same problem they had in Galatians over uh, the Judaizers. And so you're just like, well, they're Christians, I'm Christians, and I'm going to throw rocks from over here. They're going to throw their rocks from over there, and we're never going to have a conversation. So if you're like, if you come to somebody, I don't respect you because of you have some political belief. And they come back and say, yeah, I don't, I don't respect you because you're political belief. So you're a baby killer pro-trans person, Christian, because you voted for this person and you're a racist white supremacist you hate you want to throw kids in cages because you voted for that guy if if that's who you are as a christian you're talking like that to each other it's hopeless i mean it's absolutely good luck with that but i'm gonna take a dump on both of y'all it's stupid it gets nowhere let's don't take any dumps let's keep going Fear and panic that the <laughs> two of us were leading kids okay. astray. That these YouTubers who have this big audience that has a lot of kids in it are causing these crises of faith to happen all over the place, right? Okay, you hear what he's talking about now, audience? He's talking about how Christian parents, <laughs> and, and including myself, said one of the awful things about their deconstruction testimony or whatever is how they're influencing kids, Christian kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in turn led to a lot of people talking about how churches and parents need to do a better job to train and educate young Christians to protect them from people like me and you. Now, you see that amusement on his face. And by the way, when we get to Link's testimony, I don't think Link is, I, I believe that Link has deconstructed whatever that means, but I don't know that Link is as confident about all this as Red is. But um, I can't judge people, like people's internal thinking like that, just what they tell me. But, um, but, I think what we're about to see is an exercise in is of projecting and trying to assuage that responsibility that they have for this because they bear responsibility for very much doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, I have an alternative theory about why so many young people are leaving the church because they are leaving the church like never before. I would, I I, I was going to say, I'd like to take credit for it. I was, but I'm not gonna say, what I'm saying is I don't think it's because of me and you. And here's why. 
No, all of the young people that are leaving the church are not leaving the church because of Good Mythical Morning. You're not that special in that regard. You don't have that big of an audience. But but some, many, perhaps. And well, I say this. This goes back, but see, this whole line of thought goes back to something we talked about last week. Where are, I don't think educating your children in theology and apologetics is, you know, this idea of trying to shelter them from people like Rhett and Lee. No, uh, in fact, quite the opposite. When you, you know, we talked about this last week, we're, we're, Christian parents are the ones who are educating more about all of the ideas, uh, Christian and not Christian, and trying to help them filter through these ideas through a biblical worldview. I read four chapters of the Iliad to my daughter last night. Yeah. But but, but look, here's the thing. I don't get these kind of things. Um, you, you teach. Here's what we know. If you teach your if you if you have in your church or in your home. Groups of Christians who are aware of some simple apologetics principles, when someone begins to experience doubts, if they have that support group in, in a community of faith, the like 80% of them stay. Uh, but when they don't have that support group, it goes away. So again, not just the apologetics. It's a network of things that work together. Yeah, and why is it? Yeah, we Christians teach our kids how to think for themselves. It's never think for themselves when they challenge the mainstream just-so stories of, of you know, the larger culture. Why is that never thinking for yourself to think different than what they're trying to sell you uh, on origins, protology and, and everything else? Why, why is that not thinking for yourself when you disagree with that? But Rhett and Link, they find themselves agreeing with everything contrary to Christianity. And guess what? You're the one who's not necessarily thinking for yourself. You decided to think this line. So I, to me, I've always found that kind of this kind of talk. They're trying to shield their children from the truth. No, it, it, we don't shield okay. them from anything. We teach them how to think. Teach them, yeah. And and they think for themselves. And guess what? It's more going against the grain to still be a Christian in 21st century America than it is to not be one. Sorry, I, I if you mean gr- it. agree I with everything mainstream science wants to tell you about protology. Uh, and, and, and metaphysical naturalism and all of that stuff. Yeah, you're you're right on the same ship where where it's our turn to say, are you thinking for yourself? Or are you just buying hook, line, and sinker everything that science tells you? Because there's no such thing as follow science. You're picking a scientist and you decided to follow that scientist because follow the science doesn't mean anything. It's out of love and respect because I do believe that there is hope for the church. Your kids are not leaving the church because you didn't train them enough. Your kids are leaving the church because you train them well enough to develop a sense for truth and justice. You let them read the words of Jesus and they got it. And they've recognized that the church doesn't seem to be interested in those words. They're not leaving because they don't know the truth, they're leaving because they do. This isn't necessarily something that they would articulate. This is something that is happening on a soul level. Because me and you didn't give any, pe- we didn't give people new information that they never considered. There, there wasn't anything revolutionary. There wasn't anything any, uh, even particularly insightful about what we had to say on our podcast, honestly. Nothing that Amen. we said was never, it all been said before. But I think the thing that we did is we- That's not nice, I'm sorry, Rhett. There was, I'm just, I'm just uh, Pritchett's here, my co-host, and it makes me more snarky. No, no, no. Don't you put demonstrated this off demonstrated of that it is okay to question self-control over your it is okay to question at all. Orlando. Okay, now now a, a couple of things about this. First of all, 
I, I don't not like this. Okay. Uh, he's saying, he's saying, look, if you, if you want the reason kids are leaving the church, isn't because they don't love Jesus or whatever. It's because you showed them Jesus and they got it. They got the truth. Okay. Now, now what truth did they get, Rhett? I mean, the, the, like the humanistic application of Jesus thoughts or Jesus message that he was the son of God. What, what truth did they get? Secondly, if you're, if, if the thing, if the worry here is that my kids or anyone's kids would recognize that the church they're in does not properly reflect the teaching of Jesus. And so want to leave that church and go somewhere else. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to another church if they really want Jesus. And they're going to find a church that more accurately reflects the thinking of Jesus. And guess what, Rhett? I'm all for that. If my kids decide that the church they're at, even if it's the church I have them at, does not reflect the biblical teaching of Jesus, I will be proud of them if they say they want to go somewhere else where it does. I don't see any worry there. The worry I see is if there are churches that are not reflecting Jesus, and that's true. Some of the, many of them are not reflecting the teaching of Jesus. Many of them are more interested in um, a Christian nationalism than Christianity. And, and if that's true, now I think it's being overblown here, but if that's true, leave that church, go somewhere else, come to one life where we go yeah. in Evansville, Indiana. All right, let's keep nine years old. His one of his favorite people on earth was his teacher from last year, and um, she's a lesbian. She has a wife. They have two kids. We went to Legoland, and we happen to run into them. This is before the pandemic hit, and it was you know it. it I got a kick out of. Lando seeing his teacher who he loved so much in a different environment, you know, you know, it's, it's that there's always that, that, that funny exchange between a student and their teacher uh, out in the wild and it feels weird, but his, his love for her was so strong that it had the power to overcome that weirdness and like they we got a picture together and we would see each other in line and we talk to each other and like you know it was it was amazing just that he has that type of relationship with with his teacher if i would have instilled in him what was instilled in me hmm. he would have not he he would have felt deep down within himself that he didn't have permission to love her that was my experience, you know, because, and and I know that that's, you know, that's, you can pick that statement apart easily because like, well, there's just, there's a difference love between the love. Hate the yeah, I, but I, I know what the experience is like and I know how I looked at people who, were, who weren't straight. Um, but the thing is, and to your point, Lando, knows, he knows what it's like to love somebody. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not something that. It's inherent. It's not something that I had to teach him. And the fact that he's free to love her is 
is a beautiful thing that I and to love her fully. I think to love her fully. That because yes, when you love because again, I'm not saying that Christians who there are Christians who believe based on their commitment to the Bible and the what their interpretation of the Bible that being gay is ultimately wrong. But they say that you know, our gay acts are, are 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 wrong. But the person is lovable and can be redeemed, etc. But the thing that that it just mentality, doesn't work out that way. You, you, in, you can't in your if heart. you want your kids. Okay, uh, Pritchett, I'm sure you've got thoughts on this, but of I course think we, it works out that way. Of course, we knew this more topic. often than it doesn't. I mean, you know, I I, I know, almost I have seen this trite, you know, saying "love the sin or hate the sin," you know. And then I've seen Paul Washer say, no, God hates the sinner and the sin or whatever. But I've seen, uh, being from Arkansas, bad expressions towards the homosexual community from Christians. And I've seen a lot of loving and kindness towards homosexuals from, from Christians who believe it's a sin to be homosexual. I've seen both of it. You know what I've seen? Uh, more often than not, though, the loving kindness as opposed to yeah the, the hatred. And mm-hmm. you know what I've seen also? I have seen homosexuals be flat-out rude, discourteous, unkind, vile, and just off the hinge towards Christians. We never talk about that, but there are a lot of very rude people in the LGBT community that cannot show kindness to someone who differs with them. So this this idea that most Christians are toxic towards the LGBT community, nope, don't see that. I see some are, not not a whole lot. I do see uh, that some, maybe many, uh, in the LGBTQ community are very unkind and uncharitable and hostile towards evangelical, especially online, but even in person. So that needs to be brought out too, that sometimes the LGBT community uh, are horrible people towards uh, those who differ with them. So I wanted to make both of those points. Well, in this story, loving her, as they're talking about, fully loving her, as they described it, is clearly defined as approving of her lifestyle or not recognizing that there's anything unbiblical about her lifestyle or something like that. However, what if his teacher were a smoker or it turned out she is a huge Donald Trump supporter? And when he saw her the, at the fair, she had a MAGA hat and shirt on. He loves her, but he knows, ouch, something about my teacher is wrong. And I know mommy and daddy disagree with that. Isn't that the sentiment that, that you're saying that someone might have if, they, if, they, if they've been trained like Link says he's trained? That he would love her anyway, but he would recognize something. So, there's something here that I know that there's disapproval about. There are a number of things that could be true of. But, but the bottom line is loving her, and kids need to learn this. Loving people doesn't mean approving of everything that they do. And I, I think that's a relevant point. All right, let's move on thing in the church. Again, this is unsolicited advice. I don't know if anybody's taking it, but it's, this is not a, hey, I want all your kids to leave the church. That's not what I'm saying at all. If you want your kids to stay in the church, you don't need to change your kids. You need to change your church. Uh, if your kids can't find Jesus, the Jesus that they know 
from the Bible, the Jesus that you've taught them about, if they can't find him within the walls of your church, you know what, they will go looking for him elsewhere. And that may not be what they say they're doing. Okay, so that's the big, like I said a while ago, that's the worry he wants us to have. That if my kids don't find that the church they're at represents Jesus accurately, they may go looking for an accurate representation of Jesus elsewhere besides that church. I Okay, Yeah. high five. I, I want them to find that in another church. But see, that's, again, making the distinction, is Christianity true, and what don't we like about certain demographics of Christians? Two separate issues. So I'm all about teaching my kids the fundamental truth of the Christian faith. And I'm also about teaching my kids to leave it when they don't find it in their local congregation, but instilling them with the theology and apologetics to know that Christianity is true, even if Christians don't live up to the Christian ideal of Christ. No surprise there. And if my, if my kids understand doctrine, they'll know that that happens. They'll already know that that happens. They can expect to go to certain churches that are rotten to the core, that have nothing to do with Christ. And I want them to leave that churches. Yeah. Leaving bad churches because they don't reflect Christ is not identical to leaving Christianity because right. something has proven it false. Right. And here's the thing. What, what you're saying, Rhett, is that we want churches that don't, what they want to look like is Jesus. You, you think that's what the kids want is a church that looks like Jesus. That's not necessarily a church that looks like all the aspects of 21st century wokeness to look like Jesus. Uh, some woke churches look exactly like Jesus. Some don't. That's a big thing, too. We, didn't, we talked about that last week. Okay. Uh, it may not be so, how they articulate it. It may not be how they describe it, but I believe that that's what's happening. And it's interesting because, you know, people made assumptions about about me and you, and they're making the same assumptions about their kids. Let me explain. So a lot of people assume that we left the church because there was something out there, something outside of the church, whether that be fame, fortune, cultural acceptance, whatever, that we ultimately wanted more than Jesus, right? Like we fell to the temptation and we went after that thing instead of Jesus. And you also think that your kids might want something out there, something outside of the church more than they want Jesus. I think it might be simpler than that. I think maybe your kids who left the church just wanted Jesus and they saw that you wanted something else. And that could be true, but we're okay with that. In fact, we want our kids to point that out to us if they see. We can learn from our kids if our churches don't look like Jesus. Well, uh, they see that the know, church. We talk in apologetics seems... a lot about kids leaving the, the church. There's a lot of adults that leave the church too for, sure. for a variety of reasons as well. So, like Brett and Link. Yeah. I mean, so so I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that this they're not finding Jesus as is what they want there. Um, that could factor in there somewhere. I just don't. As culture becomes increasingly secular in general, I see people that don't really uh, want Jesus. So I, I see people uh, that are non-Christians. That usurp Jesus when that's why I appreciate the atheists who throw Jesus under the bus because he didn't speak out against this, that, or the other. You know, whether it be slavery in the first century, Jesus didn't speak out about that. He didn't speak out about climate change in the first century. So throw Jesus under the bus. Uh, he's not good enough. I respect those atheists more than the atheists who pick and choose the Jesus to hold him up when they find it convenient. But then, you know, everything they, they won't give Jesus what Jesus believed about himself. Well, to right? be fair, Rhett 
doesn't claim to be an atheist, though. No, I know, but I'm saying, okay, critics of Christianity, take whatever, skeptics, critics, atheists, agnostics, whatever. Uh, you can't say I like the true Jesus, but I'm not going to believe about Jesus anything that he believed about himself. So that's kind yeah. of a you know because what you get with the Jesus of history is that he does end up looking a whole lot like the Christ of faith. And that means you have to take on board the certain things that you don't really care for anymore. And one of those is this Jesus talked about a place, Gehenna, uh, quite a bit and set the consequences for those who do not believe in him as God's eschatological agent and heir to the throne. Kelvi Cuello, other than calling themselves Christians, did these guys actually do anything regarding faith in Christ? I'm unfamiliar. Yeah. yeah. They, they, in fact, were involved in campus crusade they were very evangelistic in high school they had a christian band in fact there's another video where they talk about their other best friend and it's a guy i think died when they were when they were teenagers and they were very concerned and trying to reach him with the gospel and all, all these kind of things so you would recognize these guys during their teenage and early college years as being on fire for jesus and, and in fact, they also had, not that this means anything about their heart, but they actually did music, like mate wrote songs that, that were in on videos that they sell at Christian bookstores and all kinds of things. So, so there's a lot there to speak of. So to, to give them that. All right, let's keep trucking. We're almost done here. Want something else. Um, but, there, but there's this other aspect of the way Greek thought has influenced Christianity, and that is this distinction between body and soul, right? and this distinction between God and his creation. And it tends to be this idea of separateness from God and separateness of soul and body. And then I think that that leads, that continues this dualistic thinking leads down this road where there's a distinction between the church and the world. And this is just an observation about the church. I don't know what that is. And okay, the, so the Stoics were pantheists or well, they make this just, I, I, Greek, this, I, I love bothering my, my open theists and, and, Whoever else likes to pick on Greek philosophy is the ill of Christianity. What Greek where and when? Which Greek? You know someone doesn't know a whole lot about Greek philosophy when they say Greek philosophy influences Christianity. Which Greek philosophy? Right? Because certainly not the Stoics who believed that, who were pantheists. So obviously, but some Stoic thought did influence Paul, just not that. What about uh, body-soul dualism? Well, I don't. That's a Greek idea that's pretty prominent. That's also an ancient uh, Near Eastern idea. They had ideas of disembodied and afterlife experiences all over the ancient Mediterranean world and the ancient Near Eastern world as well. This life after death, substance dualism didn't wasn't necessarily invented by the Greeks. It was fleshed out more by the Greeks, but. Um, I don't know what substance dualism has to do with just Greek philosophy well, because you can find it elsewhere. But you're going to find out why they think substance dualism is important to their critique of 21st century white evangelicalism. Okay, let's, let's because see. Because it's going it's to explain why the thumbnail that um, Kevin O'Connor worries I'm strawmanning them. Notice okay. now, here, here we go. Now, now, notice what he says about the spirit. I don't know, if you're not in, in the church, you may not know that this is what most all evangelicals believe. Um you know, and this is what I believed, which is the church and the people, the Christians within the church literally have the spirit of God inside of them. And everyone who isn't a believer is ultimately left to their own devices. 
um, that's another thing that makes it hard to validate someone else's experience. When I believed that I literally had, so there's three parts of God, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and when you make that decision to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You literally have the Spirit of the Almighty. When you make that decision to become a Christian, when you repent and trust in Christ. God within you. How does this follow from Greek? Leading you, guiding you. And when you're not a Christian, you don't have that, and so you're just a human, left to a human's devices and human's way of thinking. It's one of the reasons that Christians tend not to trust people who aren't Christians. It's one of the reasons that Christians tend not to trust authorities like you know the scientists and uh, what's the government up to now and you know or a plumber without an ichthus fish <laughs> on the back of his truck. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a it is a secret code that I think does go that deep. Well, how can, how can God, it not? If, Holy, Holy Spirit's in you, Holy Spirit's in me. If, okay. if, if, if I think that I've got the Spirit of God in me, and I think that you don't, how, that, that we're, in a, we're kind of in a different place. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Right? Hold on just a second. Kevin says, Brax, I need you to know that I'm a big fan and I love you like a brother. I feel bad, haha. I think I came across uh, two mad atheists over text. Now, well, I, there are a lot of mad atheists, or there there are a lot of atheists who are mad at me. So I could have interpreted it that way too quickly. But I never feel bad toward anyone on this channel. I have developed pretty thick skin when atheists comment. But thank you for that <laughs> kind response. I really do appreciate that. Uh, and welcome. Glad you're here. We love you too, man. Th th that's consequential. I think that's consequential for humanity, and I think it's one of the reasons that. I think it's one of the reasons that you can interpret, and I do interpret, a lot of the actions of Christians in 2020 as supremely selfish, right? Okay, now, Punchbowl Haircut says, I can't remember a time not trusting someone because the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell them, right? Like, I may distrust, first of all, there are some people who want a Christian medical doctor or a Christian surgeon. I've never been one of those people. Yeah, I want the best. Medical. I want the best one, <laughs> right, yeah. right? If he happens to be a Christian, high five, right? Uh, if I have a choice between two plumbers, one's a Christian and one's not, I might pick the one who's not a Christian so that I can evangelize them when they're at my house. Yeah, right? but I but also might pick the one. I might goes pick to it's my, a Christian. I might pick the one that goes to my local ch church because I want to support the businesses sure, of the people sure. in my congregation. There's all, all the point is, reasons. it's got nothing to do with whether he's got the Holy Spirit inside of him. Yeah, well, I mean, well, see, I mean, I don't trust a lot of people with the Holy Yeah, yeah. Spirit. I don't trust some people that have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right. The Depends Holy Spirit is him. a reformer at work in your life. Right. Is it trying and 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 through cooperating with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your life, uh then you can be conformed to the image of yeah. God. Romans some people 12, quench that Holy Spirit and they ain't trustworthy either. So. Right. So and and and, and yeah. but when but when I'm talking when I'm looking at a scientist or or whoever it is, a politician who I think is working against the cause of Christ. I'm I'm against them because they're working against the cause of Christ. Yeah, it's not because they don't have the Holy Spirit, at least not any kind of direct way. Though okay. I will say, when people are letting the Spirit guide their lives, they should be better people. Yeah, you know, again, regardless of what you think about a mask, again, the whole principle of the mask is that it's not foolproof, but that it, to some degree, depending on the nature of the mask. Okay, before he goes into masks again. Let me just say two things. First of all, again, get the Trinity Radio mask. Yeah. Smile. There's evidence for Christianity. And wear it anytime you use a restroom in a rural Indiana gas station. Secondly, 
what I want you to understand here is COVID or not. He has said that he thinks because Christians believe they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that makes them selfish, which now makes them less likely to wear masks. It's important. It slows the spread of COVID. But what does it do? It mostly prevents the spread from the person wearing it, right? So it is a supremely selfless thing to wear it, and it is a pretty selfish thing not to wear it, right? When it comes to the vaccine, again, the whole idea of vaccination um, is that the collective gets vaccinated to a certain rate in order. Oh man, honestly, atheist? Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And as far as getting hate from other atheists, it really began to happen at a much larger on a much larger level when we got to about 10,000 subscribers. Yeah. It's like once you get to 10,000 subscribers, I don't know if YouTube starts pushing you out there more, recommending you more, or if people just start to realize, oh shoot, he's at 10,000 subscribers, this might be a problem. Let's start dealing with it. But um but thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, they should hate me, not you. Agreed. Because I don't care. Individuals get vaccinated at a certain rate to protect the collective. And for every person who says, well, I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see what happens with other people. Or I'm not doing that. Again, it's, you're think, whether you think that vaccines are safe or not, like if you think that they're not safe, you're still putting your own safety and security above the collective. No. Because you know that without it, what it, it, I'm I just saying that it's a, it's a selfish act. And no. I don't even, Look, there's two different issues here, masks and vaccines. I understand if somebody says, this was a ten, eight to 10 year process that they got done in a year. I'm gonna wait till I see what happens. Like my neighbor, next door neighbor broke out in all kinds of rashes after they got the second shot, right? And her body reacted weird to it. Uh, that's my neighbor. And if I, you know, if she posted it on her own Facebook page, she might get a little thing on Facebook saying, oh, vaccines are safe you know, or whatever, but I, I saw this happen. Uh, so I, I understand people who might be, it's not self, not everything that's in your own self-interest is selfish just because it's in your own self-interest. Some people have a legitimate reason. I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch of the imagination. I'm happy to get all the vaccines that they want to stick in my arm. But I get that people might be a little concerned about this and i'm a little concerned because i mean yeah rash went away after three or four days but i mean her whole face broke out and i'm like yikes uh and for every one of them there's thousands of nothing happened i get it right but there's I'm a reason why it. i don't jump out of airplanes either because i'm the one guy that the shoot would fail and i'm not going to test that theory i'm, I'm going to get it and right. we're going to jump out of an airplane and it's going to be on trinity radio no. and i'll strap you to my chest like a no because if i no, like I, if i'm going a, in tandem like in i'm doing in tandem with a professional thing. you're not a professional if i jump my first jump has to be tandem and it will be with a professional it won't be with you no it'll be with me no and, and you'll be like a baby bjorn on my chest <laughs> <laughs> but look i don't think it's look for all of you who Wear a mask, fine. Who cares? I don't like wearing a mask except I advertise my church. Um, but I, I wear it. Who cares? Um, and I don't fuss about it too much. This is probably the first time I've ever said I don't like masks anywhere in public. Well, but, nobody likes masks, well, but I wear the mask. I'm going to wear the mask. I mean, like I'm, everything else I wear, I make it look good. But I'm gonna, I, I don't particularly care. I'm going to wear the mask. I always wear the mask. I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm either, I'm going to get the shot. I'm gonna but get I don't both know shots. any Christians who think that the Holy if Spirit. If the Johnson and Johnson won the one shot, I'd rather have that one. Name me one evangelical. Uh, we're talking about white. Name me one white evangelical Christian who has said the Holy Spirit has given me the capacity to fend off diseases without a vaccine. That's not what they're saying. I know, but I'm just saying, what what is he saying? I'm trying to follow the line. We started with Greek philosophy, and now where the Holy Spirit makes you think that masks and vaccines can make you selfish. I, I, I'm i not following this. There was something else that he That's said. That's the thing, the Holy Spirit, the belief that you have the Holy Spirit makes you feel selfish, I guess. And then you're less likely to wear a mat, is what he's saying. Yeah, the non sequitur. Say, it's right, actually now, nonsense. Now we're going to get to. Now this is something that the evangelism guy. I think he had like a Me Too type thing. So, not I don't know the details of that or whether it's true. But Alvin Reed used to be at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I think and he he was known for by a lot of people to be the evangelism guy, and he had mm-hmm. a book on evangelism, like reaching other people for Christ, personal evangelism. And one of the things he pointed out is that of course people who come to Christ have a testimony. And have and have a story of their conversion experience, and the la- one of the last stages of that is usually a feeling of, of freedom and, and liberation, like a weight's been lifted off and all that. But he also pointed out how people who move into other worldviews or leave Christianity have that as well. Now, my explanation for that is I think there's something pleasurable about um, changing your beliefs. Uh, I, I think that it, 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 there's there's a certain there can be a certain amount of pride when I've changed beliefs. There's something pleasurable about I go into that in another video. But the bottom line is we're about to hear Rhett express his testimony of how wonderful he felt after deconverting. I mean, we're we're talking about right after this comment from Link. Having the spirit and then looking at those that don't and and what that does deep down. I've never thought about this, but I do think it it does have an impact. It 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 alters the equation in how you love somebody. I mean, it's it, or it's something that you have to navigate. Well, you know, well, it just stop, you know, stop, if, stop, if stop, you really stop. think about it, hold on, how it how it impacts the nature of loving somebody. I don't. I wanted him to get through the point because uh, I actually did have comments to make about that. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I it has impacted the way that I love other people. In fact, it gives me the capacity to love people more than I otherwise would be predisposed in and of my flesh. So I don't, and I see that in a lot of people that I know. I I have seen in the transformation after some people who have converted to Christianity and become filled with the Holy Spirit and respond to the Spirit's work in their life, I have seen them become increasingly loving towards other people as opposed to not. Uh, and I've experienced that in my own life. If the, and if the fear is, so, well, these people that think they have the Holy Spirit in them are, are going to feel like they're on a different plane than everybody else and thus have trouble loving them. But first of all, that's not how people feel when they with the Holy Spirit. OK, and he knows that he has to know that from his own experience. Um, but, but here, but here's another thing that can happen with other things. The worry you have that people will feel special and on a different, different plane because they are indwelt by the Holy spirit. First of all, is one of the things the Holy spirit works against, uh, is any kind of pride like that. But, but secondly, that can happen with a number of things. Um, people get that way about books. They read a certain book. They think they know more than you about a particular subject and feel like they're on a different plane. Weight loss. 
Jonathan Pritchett feels like he's better than me now because he lost all this weight. But seriously, <laughs> people get a particular weight loss plan and they feel like you just don't get it. And if you, you're not like them, they are now enlightened in a way that you're not. That can happen with weight loss. It can happen with sports teams. Have you seen how tribal that certain sports fans get? It can happen with a lot of things. Oh, and it can happen with deconstruction. It can happen when you deconstruct and now think that you have secret knowledge about the reality about all these things and now can speak to the church about all their evils. It can happen with any number of things. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a fair point. All right, here we go. Last thing. Feel like I'm in a sea of uncertainty? I feel like I'm free, right? I would, I would mostly describe where I'm at right now as there is a sense of lightness and a freedom. Ironically, that is the way many Christians, especially people who have, you know, you know uh, we didn't have the privilege of having like a hardcore testimony. Like some people, you know, every once in a while when people did testimony time, you got like the guy who was like, I was in the church of Satan and I was a biker and I killed a boy. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I found Jesus and now there's a sense that a burden has been lifted off of me. And when you grow up in the church, you don't get that. You don't have that. Cra- I was crazy and did all this stuff yeah. and now I got Jesus. Um, but the way a lot of people describe the moment of coming to faith is a sense that a burden has been lifted off of them and there is a lightness and they feel free. I'm not arguing with that, especially if you've got a background where you, uh, you know, you were all about yourself, and then you gave yourself to something else. But I just find that to be ironic that the for me the the leaving and also being vocal about my leaving has been um, the sense of freedom, the sense of lightness, the sense of not being burdened, the sense of being open. And the sense of not feeling threatened. I think one of the things that was so true of my experience as a Christian was that. You know, cigarette smokers, if they would just decide that it doesn't cause any kind of health problems, they they would not feel threatened. And it would be nice not to feel threatened. Everything mm. was a threat. Mm. Everything was a threat. Yeah, hold on a second. Darren Piles makes a good point. Are Christians above being rebuked by non-Christians? We're not above rebuke. Yeah, that's true. Some of the things he's talking about are things that, that, that we need to address. Yeah, some of the we've agreed with several swaths of criticisms, haven't we? It's just the point yeah. that it's just the point that you can. It, it's like a conversion experience, deconstructing, and it can make you feel like you have knowledge that you wish the people that were still in church who just haven't seen what you've seen or read what you've read would have that too. I'm saying the thing that he fears that that people who have the Holy Spirit or think they have the Holy Spirit, that they'll feel like they're on a different plane and there'll be some sort of a disparity with how they look at other people and all that sort of thing. That can happen with deconversion too, where you feel like you've gotten something that they don't have. All right, we're almost at 11 seconds. Think this? Well, that's, I'm, that might be scary. Um, you might be out to get me. You might be bad for me. I know where that leads. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Okay. So that's all the clips we've got. Now, the the point I want to make about that is, is that, uh, you know, we, you, you didn't get to clip where I got to school them on collectivism versus individualism. No, I didn't play it because you didn't seem excited about me clipping it. Well, I was because I wanted to, because I I said, do you want me to clip this? And you were like, sure. 
Well, because I, well, okay, but they, they got a lot of stuff that they need some clarity on. I agree that Christians are not beyond rebuke from non-Christians, but when Christians are rebuked, it is important for Christians to respond and take the things that are worth hearing of the rebuke and make sure Christians also screen out what's not worth hearing from the rebuke. Because not just because you rebuke a non-Christian doesn't mean that everything that you said in your rebuke is actually accurate. Uh, the only The only rebukes... Uh, that are 100% accurate that I can trust are the ones that you find in scripture, uh, you know, towards certain behaviors and the, the prophetic rebukes. So I, I think it's important that when we are criticized, especially by those who were former Christians, we need to listen to them, hear it out, take what they say that we need to glean from and sift through the rest and chunk what's not uh, either true, accurate or meaningful. So Keegan Kidder says, I can't decide if the joy I receive listening to Prime and Brax outweighs the pain I experience listening to Red. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, I, I did forget one thing I wanted to say a while ago when he's talking about people are worried that they're going to negatively influence kids um, with their with their deconversion testimony. Um, and and they, they said, no, 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 because it's really that they don't see Jesus in the church and blah, blah, blah. But and they said, we didn't say anything that wasn't that was new or that hadn't been said by others. That's true, but that's not the important point. It's not that we worry that you really pulled the curtain back on some relevant reason to leave Christianity. I don't think that. No. What it is, is it's it's that it's you that said it. It's that there are a number of people who really love and trust you and connect with you because you're good at that. And you've built a, a, a group, a following of fans all around the world who really love you and admire you. And so when it's you that's saying it, you don't have to say anything different than anybody else is saying. But when it's you that's saying it, that has more of a punch than it does coming from someone else. And so it's, it's I mean, that's true of everyone. I mean, for example, um, if uh, Jonathan Pritchett tells me I'm a fat, ugly slob, I mean, that hurts a little, but it also kind of just motivates me. I would to never lose call weight. you ugly. But um, but if my wife calls <laughs> me a fat, ugly ugly. slob, okay, now that that means a little something more, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, there is response. They do bear responsibility for the influences and impact they're having on people's kids, their own and others, because um, it's who it's them who's saying it. Now, obviously, if Christianity is false, they bear no responsibility. Uh, they also don't deserve to be praised if Christianity is false. Right. But um, but if but if Christianity is true, then yeah, they do bear responsibility. And I don't know if that concerns Rhett too much, but I sense that it still does concern Link a little bit. Well, here are my closing thoughts on this whole thing. Okay. Some of their critiques were valid, though I think I am so tired of the tropes, uh, especially from 2020, the, 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 the white evangelicals. I get on to Christians, including white evangelicals, quite a bit. I get on to them when, when they say things like Braxton slipped up because he knows that I don't approve, and I talked about it last week, where he just says woke, 21st century wokeism is this one thing, as if white evangelicalism is one thing, and you dangle the tropes uh, around these labels. Uh, whether it's white evangelicals or woke or Biden voters or never Trumpers or forever Trumpers or whatever, uh, you know, at some point you've got to give us some meaningful content beyond these tropes. And I, I feel like they lean too hard on some tropes for me to take a whole lot of what, even when I can find things that I agree with, 
I want to push back because I think they're playing on a lot of tropes that they've heard elsewhere. So they're not saying anything that you can't read in the New York Times or whatever else. Uh, criticisms of white evangelicalisms, not name or white evangelicals, not named Russell Moore and the Never Trumpers, because they get a free pass from this. But that to me, some of this was lazy. I think a lot of their critiques were lazy, and I want to get everyone past lazy tropish criticisms of large groups of people because you it never solves any things and it makes people more tribal less not less tribal so that's why i'm going to be friends with trump lovers and i'm going to be friends with biden lovers and i'm going to be friends with uh people uh, of different denominations and all of that kind of thing because I don't want to be in an echo chamber, but I what I and I also don't want to be lazy, but I don't want other people to be lazy either. So if we're going to fix what needs to be fixed, and if we're going to get past the tropes and the stupid that no one should be saying out loud, because what you're really saying doesn't land anywhere. Uh, it lands more for the people that already agree with you than it actually accurately reflects the people you're criticizing. We, in order to get past that and get toward any progress, we need to clean up the tropes. Okay, I, I want to respond, and then we're going to go um, to uh, honestly atheist who says, "Why don't they deserve to be praised if Christianity is false? Wouldn't they be leading people away from false beliefs?" The reason is because, and I admittedly, okay, if Christianity is false, there's some other religion could be true, I guess, and then uh, and then maybe they would be praiseworthy. But if Christianity is false and naturalism is true, let's say atheistic naturalism, then determinism is true. And if determinism is true, that it makes no sense for praise or blame for anyone because everyone just finds themselves doing whatever they do. <laughs> and and I, mean, yes. it, I mean, isn't that right? I mean, if determinism is true and you find yourself as a racial hater or a philanthropist who builds wells for thirsty people in third world countries, in either case, you, you, you just did whatever you were determined to do. And so we may reward you or punish you, but we can't hold you praiseworthy or blameworthy. Uh, at least mine, what I think. Yeah, but we don't believe that. I mean, and we also believe that Christianity is true. So anything that's contrary to that, if it were the case that Christianity is false, maybe, but it's not the case that Christianity is false. So yeah, they shouldn't be praised. All right. Well, this has been a whole ball of fun. It's weird to have a live stream in the middle of the week like this. Our regular live stream will still happen this week. That's Fridays. We're making up for quarantine missed actually you know episodes. my daughter's gymnastics championship is this friday so i actually may have to cancel this this could be serendipitous and well not serendipitous that's not the right word that's when you expect something to be bad and it turns out good i didn't expect this to be bad <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh th this could be good that we did this because we may not get to do it friday but we'll still try to have another live stream this week um but thank you all for being here this was an incredibly well attended live stream for us we had like 170 at the most yeah do we need year. to start doing it on maybe Tuesdays. we need to move it to tuesday <laughs> yeah uh but uh I'd anyway for that love you guys uh love you so much and we'll see you next time on trinity radio